bad ones. I'm your second time this week, and boy, am I tired, host Cam Harless. And my guest co-host for the night is a man you may know. Be, uh, be it awesome tattoos, punk rock, going against the current, or venturing into orthodoxy, he's pretty cool. So this is this is Buck, Buck Johnson, a.k.a. Buck Rebel. Uh, thank you for for guest co-hosting with me because it's I can't do anything by myself apparently. Well, I I know how that part goes, but yeah, thanks for having me here. It's I think it's the first time I've ever co-hosted on a show uh, that you know that I wasn't ever normally a part of. I've had some kind of like duo type things where we get together from time to time, but this is a first for me, so I'm honored. Thank you, Cam. Hey, well, I I thought it was funny because we did I did a show Tuesday as well. And that was with a guy I'd been on his show, but he'd not been on mine yet. So you're one of two people so far who I asked to guest co-host before you'd have even been on my show. So I think you should take that as the compliment that it is. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, I think that's a compliment because it means you trust me enough. Like if I've never been on before, I'd be thinking, I hope this guy knows what he's talking about. I hope he's OK. But so thank you for at least having the faith in me. Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm, I'm really am thrilled you're here. Uh, so before we get started, this show is 100% brought to you by fans and patrons. So hit like, subscribe, and share the show with your friends. There are all sorts of topics that we've covered, and some of them are more interesting than others, but some of them might hit you right in the right place. So share them with someone you may know who might gain something from them. Also, best way to kind of help this show continue and go along and get better is if you join our Patreon. Uh, if you join our Patreon, you will get an occasional early episode, a, a Zoom hangout monthly, and my eternal gratitude, which is is costly. Um, but if you go to patreon.com slash themadones, you can join there. And if you want to rep me for real, you can wear any of the shirts that I design. Uh, you can go to wearethemadones.com slash store to pick those up. There, housekeeping over. Oh, wait, no. Uh, hit like, subscribe, bell icon, all that stuff. Uh, so... Let's get going. Um, joining us tonight is a very smart man. He's a pr professor of comparative religion at Miami University. He's a TikToker, a researcher. His work is absolutely fascinating, and I'm so thrilled to be able to talk to him tonight. He may be one of the most empathetic people on the planet, a studier of fringe radical groups that you may call hate groups. Uh, please welcome to the show, Dr. Hillel Gray. How you doing? Greetings. Thanks for <laughs> Can I Thank can you. I start by objecting to your introduction, or should we just let you go, let you start go the ahead. show? Go ahead, object. I, I would not claim to be uh, an empathic person in any particular special way. I don't okay. think that's that's not necessarily my flex. I believe that empathy is very important, and I try to train myself and other people to do it. I do think I have some impulse control, okay. so I do have the ability to to not act in a not to to not condemn people or praise people if I'm trying to avoid that. So I do manage to be non-judgmental in a lot of times, but I don't think I have any special flex in terms of being any more empathic than anybody else in, in the sense of empathy being, you know, a way to resonate with somebody, understand their emotional emotions and that kind of thing. But I love the introduction. Thank you. <laughs> That's great. No, I, I love a good correction. I'm one of those weird people that if I'm not corrected, I'm not happy because I, I, I know that not in this case necessarily, but in the future, if I say it again, I'm going to be so mad at, mad that I didn't know I was wrong the first time. <laughs> like I don't like repeating falsehoods, you know? It's not my deal. Um, but no, I, I found you on TikTok uh, probably a couple of months ago. And I remember your the first yeah. TikTok that I saw, you were just kind of explaining who you were and how, how you, you studied um, 
you know, comparative religion, you studied these fringe groups and you were like, I've uh, done studies and talked to the Westboro Baptist church. And I was like, you have to have some kind of self-control to talk to these people. So uh, I just really wanted to know all about you, what you do, what you've learned, all sorts of things like that. So um, would would you be willing to start by kind of giving your your own introduction so that it's better than mine that I had to write myself? No, no, you're good. You're good. <laughs> um, but you might want to tell people Miami University is in Ohio. Uh, that if you don't follow certain sports, you might, you might be thinking of University of Miami. But I, I live in Cincinnati. I'm about a 50 minutes, 50 minute drive from campus. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, because I, I saw Miami and I just assumed Miami. I feel like most people probably would. I only um, knew it from college football for some reason. That's right. Yeah. Cradle of coaches, they say, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so uh, could you tell us kind of what got you into comparative religion? Why you studied what you did? Like what what led you to where you are today, TikToking as you are? Yeah, well, uh, being a somewhat older person, my whole biography is a little bit long, but uh, basically, uh, I spent a number of years doing uh, research and writing about corporate social responsibility issues, and I was the uh, policy director of the National Environmental Law Center. Uh, so I really had a pretty long career. Uh, and at one point in the environmental work, uh, there was a big shift towards what's called environmental justice and a lot more involvement from churches and religious groups. And I got interested in that. I thought, oh, it'd be fun to sort start to study study some of these issues from a religious standpoint. So I went to the university, well, I got a master's degree at Harvard, then I went to the University of Chicago and I got a PhD in religious studies. And my work was not actually originally having anything to do with groups like Westboro Baptist Church. My specialty was more in uh, religious ethics and Judaism, contemporary Jew Judaism and Jewish ethics. And uh, I did a postdoc at Emory University in Atlanta and Westboro Baptist Church came to uh, do their thing, do their picketing uh, at different sites around Atlanta. I got interested in that. I thought, oh, you know, uh, wouldn't it be sort of interesting if we just sort of set up some kind of carnival of hate and made fun and mocked the way that they do hate and do like a teaching around it? And I thought, oh, that was very clever. We could sort of ridicule them. And then I realized it was not very original at all. All sorts of people mock them and despise them and make fun of them and, and dismiss them and so on. So I thought, okay, that's not very original. I wonder if, what if I actually approach them the way I'm trained, which is trained to uh, approach people in a sort of academic, uh, interested way of trying to understand a different culture. Okay, at, the point, at that time, actually, I was doing uh, bioethics. I was a medical ethicist. Uh, or not, I wasn't a, uh, I was learning to be a medical ethicist at uh, a hospital in Atlanta through Emory. And so we would go visit patients and we would just, you know, we were trained to just listen to patients. And no matter where they were coming from, we would try to be accepting to whatever was going on with that patient. And so I decided I would take some of these same kind of skills and apply them to Westboro Baptist Church. What if I just approach them in a non-judgmental way, try to understand what's going on with them, just like you might if you approach the culture, or in my case, if you approach, say, a patient in the hospital. So that was sort of the introduction to it. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, let me let me ask. Um, so you, you obviously, you said you studied some, um, you went into contemporary Judaism and things like that. Um, 
So I, I did notice your is it's called a, is it called a yamaka? Or in Hebrew, yamaka is fine too. Okay, because uh, I've I heard I've heard the other word and I I didn't I don't recognize it and can't remember it. So I was like, hopefully I'm, this is okay word. Um, but uh, so may I ask what kind of branch of Judaism you're a part of? Well, you know, one of the interesting things about my work is I try to not take moral or theological positions in public. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, and so part of the thing I mentioned earlier about trying to bracket off my judgments from other people, uh, especially the people that we're studying, uh, but also from my students, I do a lot of teaching, is I try to not myself express moral opinions or religious opinions. I try to elicit them from other people and help uh, scholars analyze what's going on. Uh, but I myself don't really say much about my own religious beliefs. Gotcha. A lot of people have trouble. I notice on TikTok, a lot of people have trouble wrapping their heads around this idea like, how can I be showing that I have Jewish identity, but not actually saying anything about my beliefs? Um, so it's particularly easy as a Jew because um, there's a, a bit of a distinction, I would say, in the Jewish world between what you believe and what you practice, right? So you could be wearing one of these things and have a very wide range of beliefs. You could be very liberal, you could be very conservative or uh, fundamentalist in your religiosity. Um, so the fact that I wear it does identify me as a Jew, but doesn't really say anything about my particular Jewish beliefs. Right. Uh, so since follow-up question then, um, as you can see actually behind you in the, the image that I put up, um, you can see phrases on the Westboro Baptist uh, church signs like rabbis rape ki rape kids Jew Jews stole some land st Jews stole the lands different things like this um, yeah so talk to me about the first time you spoke to I don't know Shirley or I, I'm sure you've met Megan uh, Phelps Roper but True, um, yeah but how was that first conversation knowing that they carry signs like that um I was very nervous the first time I met with them. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've studied anti-Semitism, and even though in some ways I was sort of excited to meet a group that was so anti-Judaism, um, uh, you know, uh, there, are, there are a lot of people in the world, I would say, who are anti-Semitic, um, but I don't necessarily feel they're necessarily safe to talk to, right? right? At Westboro Baptist Church, they are protesting in what is a physically nonviolent way. so. I was nervous about meeting them, but I wasn't like physically nervous about meeting them, if that makes sense. Right. Um, and uh, and so actually the first time I met with them, I, I at Emory, I found a, a person who was a specialist in difficult conversations. And there was like a, she, she was part of a network of people who were sort of hosting difficult conversations on college campuses called the National Coalition uh, Building Institute. And I actually uh, sort of, help prepare with her. And then she actually sat with me during the first conversation I had uh, with the Westboro folks. And I was, I was pretty nervous. Um, they're actually quite friendly people for the most part. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a diverse, it's, it's a small church, but you know, it's, they have different personalities, but the first group of people I met, there were four, four of them and they were quite chill, um, relaxed people. They were pretty, pretty easy get going. Uh, one guy, uh, Pastor Tim Phelps, uh, t tends to tease me. He, he teased me the first time we met. So, you know, I, 
I'm sort of a sensitive guy. I don't like to be teased, but it was okay. He teased me about being like nerdy. I don't know gotcha. where he got the impression that I of all people are nerdy, but uh, but he didn't he didn't give me a hard time about being Jewish. And when I went to Topeka, Kansas, where their church is based for the first time, I also again brought uh, some support people because I was nervous about what it would be like meeting all these people. And uh, again, they were quite hospitable to me. Uh, some of them are a little more intense with me than others. Um, and we did talk about their views on Judaism. They have a very uh, uh, traditionalist uh, Christian anti-Judaism in their in their approach. Um, go ahead. No, I was just gonna. I was gonna say the only thing because I I am I am Christian and I was um, I have a degree in biblical studies, so that's you know so religion fascinates me of all types, and so you know I've I've studied a little here and there, um, but that's one of those. Uh, are they dispensationalist? in that way or because a lot of times i'll find that dispensationalists either very for the jewish people or very against them <laughs> well um they don't really talk about dispensation so i don't really take them that way very strongly but i i tend not to ask them about their theology i'm not really okay as interested in their beliefs i'm interested in what they're like as people what the lived experience is for them um how it is that they got to be who they are um, so I'm trying to understand some things that you can't understand by reading their sermons, that you can't understand by uh, the usual way that they present themselves and describe their theology or their beliefs. You know, some of the things they do are very controversial, like why do they picket at the funerals of military soldiers? Uh, well, all soldiers are military, but whatever, picket at the uh, funeral <laughs> soldiers. Um what I try to do is ask questions that other people are not asking them. Um, and that's really what I'm looking at. But they 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 definitely are um, very geared towards the end times. They believe the that, you know, any moment uh, there might be the second coming or however they would refer to it. They uh, often refer to uh, the book of Revelations. Actually, there there are seven pastors now, uh, but or, or preachers. Uh, but Tim, him, Tim, the guy I happened to mention, uh, really is very focused on their eschatology, on their beliefs about the end times. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, and actually this may be part of an advantage of being a Jewish person, a Jew going to visit them, because they believe that in the end times, uh, there'll be 144,000 Jews that will be saved along with the true church. Yep, okay. Ready. The true church to them is like Westboro Baptist Church. It's like a few dozen people. Okay. Now they, they don't deny the possibility that other Christians might that there might be other people will be saved, but they don't themselves see other people acting properly. But they do believe that there will be, uh, I guess it's uh, is it twelve thousand from the twelve tribes, I guess, who would be saved in the Book of Revelations. I guess that's what chapter thirteen. Okay, I'm not sure where it is. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, by the way, I, I leave that to you to, to cite the New Testament. And by the way, I've taught, I, I don't know the New Testament very well, but I've taught Hebrew Bible, but compared to Westboro Baptist Church, as they would say, I am Bible ignorant. Gotcha. Because they can cite the Bible so well. They know a chapter and verse so well. Uh, Shirley Phelps Roper, who you mentioned, you know, she can just spit out those verses by heart so well. Uh, hmm. And I understand the Bible in, in, in sort of an academic way, but I don't have that level of fluency. Go ahead. Right. No, I was I was just going to say I 
I may just want to at some point if 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 you like it enough here to actually have you on to talk about uh, the Hebrew scriptures because that's something that I'm really diving into right now, especially um, I have been reading a book on Revelation because that's another thing I'm like, how do I understand this? How am I supposed to read this? Um, but uh, I've been reading about like ancient cosmology and the you know the surrounding um, understanding, Second Temple, like all of that. And I find that all fascinating because that's like one of my favorite things to talk about at this point. That's great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so let me ask, um, and Buck, if you have a question or something you want to say, just feel free to jump in at any point. Um, the, um, what was I going to say? I'm well, I got all kinds of stuff I can say. I've been jotting notes down. Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting. So they think, I mean, this might be too much of a new Testament question. Uh, they think that they are the one true church and they're well-versed on this, on the, on the new Testament. But I would assume they have to understand that that sect of Christianity is not the church from the book of Acts, correct? They 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 do see themselves as uh, what's the expression? The candle, the the, oh. the candlestick that's always been, you know, the church uh, from time immemorial. So or not immemorial, mm. but the time of Jesus. Right. So uh, so they do think that they are carrying on uh, the Christian. You know, they are they are the true Christian elect. Right. So they have a five point Calvinist approach. Um, they believe that, you know, that God has an elect, that God has a group of, you know, maybe the large majority of human beings are reprobates or damned. Um, and they don't know for they. I, I think if, when you really talk to them about it, they will say they don't know for sure that they are themselves personally the elect. Right. But they believe in the, the Calvinist understanding of an elect group that God has chosen uh by grace and that from what they can tell they are that body is that what you're asking me kind of yes it's just it's interesting from coming from my background to hear them say something that seems um strange or maybe incorrect but the, you know to each their own i'm not judging this um i i would like to ask also do they feel threatened do, do, do when you meet them do they do they try to let me see who this guy is. Check out your credentials. Do they often feel that like there's Fed threats coming into their their scene, if you will, that they've got to watch out for? Sure, sure. They, um, I don't know that they feel threat like any kind of danger because they feel that God is protecting them, and they certainly put themselves in harm's way when they go out and do these pickets. And there's like you know ten of them and a mob of a thousand people maybe coming at them sometimes. Uh, but they don't trust outsiders. Uh, they basically see the world as in a somewhat binary structure, uh, sort of us versus them kind of thinking. And they are like the sheep, uh, you know, like. And we're the goats. And we're the goats. And uh, so, yeah, so I would say at the beginning when I, certainly the first time I went to Topeka, I got a lot more pushback than I have since. Um, you know, they're wondering, like, am, am I an agent of Satan? You know, am, am I uh, an agent of the of the evil forces in the world? And, you know, they just have to be wary of that. And they, you know, question my motives and so on. Mm -hmm. That's Over the years, so that was back in 2010. Now, you know, they've known me for a dozen years. They're more accustomed to me. Uh, but that doesn't mean that they, you know, they, they don't necessarily think I'm good. Um, You're not going to go to brunch with them. Well, you know, actually... Uh, in 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 the last year or so, 
um, they actually uh, did sort of invite me out for dinner. We did sort of have a little bit more social time with them than we have in the past. Sometimes it's been more sort of like formal sit down interviews. Um, so I think we have a certain kind of rapport. And one of the main things I'm trying to accomplish is to see if it's possible to have some kind of uh, warm, uh, you know, professional but warm rapport relationship with them, uh, even though they do see the world in, you know, these very stark terms. Is it possible by not being judgmental, by not condemning them, by not uh, being dismissive of them, by treating them as respectfully as I can? Uh, does it sort of um, change the dynamic? Uh, so many people in the media interview them. You know, they were very famous or whatever. They were very much in the popular uh, media around 2013 or so when there was this, you know. Louis uh, Thoreau. Say what? Was it the Louis Thoreau? documentary stuff well there was there was that but also you remember there's a supreme court case um and you know so they they lost before they got to the supreme court they lost an 11 million dollar judgment that would have maybe bankrupted uh the church so uh so they got lots of media attention but very almost nobody comes at them the way i do which is like well you know just let's talk tell me a little bit about who you are what was it like growing up what's it like being who you are I'm never trying to argue with them over their beliefs. I'm never trying to argue, you know, I've never like, even the kind of thing you said, like, you know, that you don't believe, or you don't agree with that. I, I don't ever say that to them. Um, and what I want to know is, you know, what's it like to be, you know, say this one, this one small group in a city where everybody else is, and you know, seems to be antagonistic to them. What's it like to have your children go to school and be bullied in school? What's it like to go to these, you know, they work in various kinds of jobs. What's it like to be harassed in your job or fired or not, you know, because of your association with this church? I got one more really quick. Based on what you just said, is that kind of uh, alluding to the fact that in that small town, most people kind of know who they are and, and, you know, they'll see someone at the grocery store and it's like, ah, oh, that's one of the people from the Westminster Baptist Church. Um, well, Topeka is pretty small. Yeah. Um, certainly for decades, everybody knows about the church. Right. I mean, the church is one of the biggest tourist sites in Topeka, and it's one of the main ways Topeka has been in the news for the last 30 years. Uh, I think there's a lot of resentment among Topeka residents. I've met with a lot of, not a lot, but I've met with various uh, Topeka residents over the years. Um, but it doesn't mean that people recognize the individuals, right? So Shirley Phelps Roper and a few other people, certainly Fred Phelps, you know, those people were recognizable, but their siblings and their children and other people in the church are not, you know, are not well known. Uh, I don't think as visible, you know, the way you're asking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> um, that, but that's what you meant. Like, you know, yeah. see them in a supermarket, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah Cause you had but mentioned no, the kids feel threatened sometimes, or do they feel threatened? Or, and I thought, well, does everyone even know who these kids are? That kind of thing. Yeah, but well, in your school, they do know, okay. right? In the school, they're well, first of all, if your last name is Phelps, there's a good yeah. chance, you know, people are going to figure that out. And even with the other last names, I, I, I think people do eventually figure it out. Um, and it can be difficult for them, quite difficult for them. That's yeah, I can't, I can't imagine being a part of that in any way. Um, I wouldn't want the heat. Um, even though they don't get the heat, everyone else does. Um, question. Um, I was going to ask, I have some friends 
who truly believe that the Westboro Baptist Church and the way they they function that it's not an organic movement that came out, but rather one that may have been um, fomented by someone like the FBI or something like that, like some federal agency. Is that is there from your experience? Is there any truth to that, or are they just sincere? Um, well, let, let's leave the sincerity thing aside for a second. The okay. thing you're describing is sort of like an Alex Jones yeah. hoax kind of thing. And Alex Jones, didn't he just lose in court? <laughs> I, think I, mean, I think so, yeah. It's yeah. not so much the like it's like the FBI created them. It would have to be they could have done this thing organically with that's why I asked if they were worried about a Fed threat, because they could have easily have infiltration without them, kind of like uh the mob used to have with the FBI. Yeah, no, I mean this is a very small group. Um, I, uh, yeah, it, I think it arose organically, uh, you know, the church goes back to the mid fifties, uh, when Fred Phelps, uh, senior started it and he was a controversial character before they started the campaign that made them famous, their anti-gay campaign. Uh, he was already somewhat of a character in Topeka and the family was already stigmatized in school, for instance. Uh, for reasons that might surprise you. Such as, if I may ask. Well, Fred Phelps Sr., remember this is Topeka, uh, you know, board, uh, Brown versus Board of Education, Topeka. Um, he became a civil rights lawyer and did litigation on behalf of African-Americans in civil rights. Yeah. Okay. And so his family was bad mouth for being, uh supporters you know there are rude ways of saying that you're a lover of african americans and so he was he and his family you know have stories or well how he's passed away but his children have stories of what it was like uh in white you know conservative kansas being these liberals who were supporting african americans back in the 1960s so um so they were stigmatized for that they were also calvinists like i said so they did not want to celebrate Christmas. They did not want to do all the school pageantry over the holidays. And so that also sort of differentiated them from other people. So they were already sort of on a certain kind of path. Uh, they um, And then what happened was uh, they got very in invested in uh, dealing with uh, homosexuals, or we would now say just gay men. Uh, in, in Topeka, they got very invested in that. They started to do a little bit of protest they got a lot of pushback. So then they pushed back and, you know, it, it ended up blowing up. So I think it's from a sort of historian kind of standpoint, it's very easy to see how they developed and how it sort of escalated. Yeah. Do you think, so do you think that um, this is kind of to the sincerity question, I guess, do you think that they have done things as high profile as they have done because it's like a true belief that they need to do it or did they get sucked into the uh, fame or infamy of it? Um, well, let me ask you a question. When you see various uh, preachers who are famous, other Christian preachers, you know, leave, leave Westboro aside, you see various preachers who become very, very famous, you know, and uh, they can then uh, pull together a football stadium or something, right? Or they have their own broadcast uh, channels and, you know, televangelists and so on. Do, do, do they, are they insincere because they're, um, they like to get press and they want to get press and they, uh, try to get more press. 
uh, not necessarily. I'm just wondering what their their mindset is. I'm not right. so so I can't read into their minds, right? Mm -hmm. And so as a as as a person in religious studies, you know, with sort of an anthropology sociology kind of orientation, we don't try to necessarily figure out what's going on in somebody's mind, right? Mm -hmm. But it isn't hard to understand that if you are trying to get your message out and you realize there are certain things that are helping you get your message out, you're going to continue to pursue those things, right? And the notion that, by, by the way, again, I'm Jewish, and so I'm a little more accustomed to the Jewish world. The Jewish okay. world doesn't do this. There are not, there are hardly any Jews out there who are promoting Judaism in a big media way. We're not out there trying to convert a lot of people. It just is not a thing in the Jewish world. But in the Christian world, it's considered a duty. It's considered a commission of God that you should be out there trying to, you know, evangelize or spread the gospel. So this is the gospel that they believe needs to be spread. They believe that the word of God needs to be put out there. And, it, and again, it's not a Westboro Baptist Church is anachronistic, but they're not um, a new phenomenon. Right. Like the Puritans who they uh, have a lot of respect for. And, you know, Fred Phelps studied them. He, you go to his library, you see all these writings by Jonathan Edwards and other people from that period. You know, they they preached fire and brimstone, right? They would have none of this, you know, prosperity gospel or positive kind of evangelical thing, right? They're, they have, they would have none of that. They were preaching sin and, and repent and, you know, repentance and, you know, so on. And that's the tradition that I think uh, Fred Phelps the founder of the church saw himself in, and that's what they're continuing. Hmm. That means you're about to be progressives. <laughs> Wait, say, say more. What do you mean? I, because the the modern progressive movement is basically form, you know, formed from the Puritan movement by preaching sin. If you're against, if you're not going to live like this, or if you believe this, and I disagree with you, you're canceled. That's that's funny that the Westboro Baptists kind of have the same lineage as neocons and Puritans. Interesting. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That whole. Uh, who what's uh Woodrow Wilson and his social mm -hmm. gospel like it's dude was a puritan yes <laughs> so fascinating yep. seeing these kind of threads throughout history yes all right <laughs> no, do you have any any comment on that no but you know um they're they're an interesting group in some ways they're very critical of the united states yeah right and uh you know they'll they believe that the united states has gone over to the side of sin they, like I said, they picketed at military funerals. They see the presidents as really evil characters, like the anti, you know, they like an antichrist kind of character. Um, they're very critical of the U.S. military, um, but at the same time, they they also have a great deal of respect for certain aspects of the United States, um, and a certain kind of American exceptionalism uh, sort of comes through them. Uh, you know, they believe a lot in uh, freedom of religion, and they are certainly been pushing the boundaries of that, sure. and they're aware of that. And, and so there are people in American history that they um, respect. I'm not sure I could name all of them right now, but, you know, others who sort of represent this sort of uh, maybe what we might think of as a sort of Puritan mindset, uh, but in a very American way, yeah. right? And that, that the American constitutional system is set up where you don't establish religion by the state, uh, in, certainly in the view of the Westboro Baptist Church, but also I think many people's view, it's a non-establishment approach, which allows you know religion to flourish uh, 
you know, in the hinterlands and so on. <laughs> gotcha. Um, so, I mean, obviously, I, I is um, the Westboro Baptist Church the only kind of hate group that you've spoken to and talked to, or have you uh, reached into other, um, I don't know, churches, organizations as well? Yeah, no, I'm very interested in trying to find other groups to cultivate. Unfortunately, I have a fairly small project, and uh, I, I do a lot of teaching, so I work with students, and I bring them to, to Topeka with me, and we, we have this whole sort of field trip, uh, field research work that we do. Um, and Westboro is somewhat unusual because they're so, in, you know, they're so intensely oppositional. Uh, you know, they're anti-gay, anti-trans, anti-Judaism, anti-evangelical, anti-Catholic, and so on. Um, but they're also very accessible. Right. And many of the groups who hold some of these same intense positions and are labeled hate groups are not as accessible, might be a little bit more scary for me to bring undergraduates to. There is one group uh, that I have been able to pursue. I'm hoping to pursue others. Uh, but there is another group that I've been able to pursue, partly because of my background in uh, Jewish studies. And uh, and I'm interested in it because, you know, I have more expertise in uh, Judaism. Uh, and that's a group that is a um, ultra-Orthodox, very devout, um, you know, I might say they sort of maximize the religious experience. They're super immersed in their religious world. You know, some people call these folks fundamentalist. I don't know if that's such a great term to try to apply outside of Christianity. But um, this is an ultra-Orthodox Jewish group that many people think is sort of like the Jewish version of Westboro Baptist Church. I didn't know there was one of those. Oh, yeah. Can so you help, can you say it or would that mess things up for you? No, no, it's called Nature Carta. Um, it's a very small group. They have some people in Israel. They have some people in New York. And the reason why they're considered so radical and so controversial is because of how anti-Israel they are. Oh, we, okay. Okay. Because as you may know, most American Jews are very pro-Israel. There are various, you know, critics of Israel in the Jewish world. And some of them, you know, on the left are very critical. Uh, but this group is very unusual because they're deeply religious. They're ultra-Orthodox Jews. They look like stereotypical Jews. If you Google, you know, Jew on, on <laughs> Google images, you'll see pictures of folks like this. Um but they have a strongly anti-Zionist position. And this particular, there is a, a range of people like this who are anti-Zionist, but this particular group is not only anti-Zionist, but they are pro-Palestinian. So they have met with Hamas, wow. they have met with Hezbollah, right? And they, they've met with the president of Iran, uh, who, as you may know, was considered a very anti-Israel, anti-Jewish kind of person. Um, and they believe that the Palestinians should be running Israel. They don't believe that there should be a, a Jewish state there. So this has drawn enormous uh, animosity from uh, sectors of the Jewish world. Um, and uh, yeah, like when they met with uh, the president of Iran, like just people like flipped out. Yeah, I can I can understand that. Um, so I, I, I was like, I'll be honest, I was kind of hoping you were going to say uh, black Hebrew is Israelites. Because oh, that's because group, I, too, yeah. I, I thought that too. I, yeah. I don't understand them and I, I would love to. Right. So I, that's a group that I, well, I guess you saw, I had a series of TikToks on, the, on there are various types of uh, Hebrew Israelites and I'm very interested in that sector. And I, I think I, 
I will be able to understand it, you know, maybe better than the average person because of my background with uh, Judaism and so on. And yeah. right. And like, but, um, but, you know, they're actually a good example of why this is difficult to do because the group there, there are different types of Hebrew Israelites and some of them are very, uh, I don't know, I don't know what you'd say, you know, sort of mainstream, not very intense kind of people. You know, they have a different religion. They have a minority religion, but they're not that unusual. But there is a sector there that is very intense and is labeled as a hate group. Um, and they're the group I would like to meet with. But I think um, they're not as open as a group like Westboro Baptist Church or as this other group, Naturi Karta. Now, Naturi Karta, the Jewish group, they're, they were open to me partly because I'm Jewish. So that did sort of get me in the door. But I don't happen to be African-American, uh, which would probably help me get into the door more easily with the Hebrew Israelites. But I think I will try to uh, meet with them and see if I can cultivate any kind of entree to a group like that. So j just on the topic of uh, the black Hebrew Israelites, um, <laughs> I I was speaking with a, a Hotep, someone in the Hotep movement yeah. a while back. And, you know, like from an outsider's perspective, not thinking about, you know, like religion or anything like that, just like how these, how I've, interacted with these two different groups in one way or another i i just asked you know so how how similar are hoteps to uh black hebrew israelites and boy did i get an answer because they like that guy was like well you know they're the jews and we're the egyptians and you know they spread those lies about how how we enslaved their people and, and i was just like okay but like i was just asking like do y'all get, I guess you don't get along. He's apparently they're enemies. And so I learned that. And I thought if you didn't know that there's a little tidbit for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that I relied on when I was uh, doing the TikToks on the Hebrew Israelites is uh, some research by uh, a professor who categorized them in four, came up with four different uh, subgroups. Right. Yeah. And one of those subgroups is really very close to rabbinic Judaism, to, to ordinary what we would say is sort of like ordinary or mainstream Judaism in the United States. There's a group there that is fairly close to it. And in fact, uh, one of their main leaders um, has sort of dual citizenship in both the, in that brand of Hebrew Israelite religion and in the uh, Jewish world. So, so, so that group, you know, they would be seen very antagonistically by this more radical Hebrew Israelite group, right? Because they would see them as collaborating with the ordinary, ordinary Jews who they think are like phony and, you know, bad characters. So, uh, you know, the, the, the radical Hebrew Israelites, they think they are the true Hebrew Hebrews or the true Israelites, the true Israel, and that the Jews, the people we call the Jews are phonies. Is there a split when that would have happened, like in history, in their in their minds, when when the ones that we, like you say we would call Jews are phonies, was there a moment in biblical history when when that delineation happened? Yeah, I'd have to go back and sort of trace it. Uh, I, I'd be careful about I should be careful what I say on in public here, but yeah. So they believe I don't know if it's so much in biblical history, sort of post biblical history that the Israelites uh, moved into Africa, okay? And that the, the people who you see now 
in, you know, coming out of Europe, say the Jews who come out of Europe, and they're the Jews that they tend to focus the most on, and reasonably so, because those are the majority of Jews in the United States. Uh, they see those Jews as Europeans, um, that they are not racially the way the Israelites were. And so, you know, so they have various sort of, um, I might say, an alternate history or a sacred history to explain this. So they do have a, um, again, it's not an academic history, but they do have a a narrative that explains how they became, uh, how they are drawn from the Israelites and how the people who we think of as the, the European Jews are not. Gotcha. So they do have, and, and you'll see, um, you'll see them argue over his, history points with people who, you know, confront them. Um, That's so well, because Hoteps do that as well. Like they, there's a, a whole separate history that they talk about. Also, um, I, we, I had someone who grew up in the um, the Nation of Islam on the show not too long ago, and like all of the the different history they have and all these, it's it's so incredible to hear because you know I'm not saying that none of it is true, but it's just wild that there are so many views of history that something can't be has to be wrong, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Right. And, and, you know, for somebody like me, I'm not so interested in trying to adjudicate or evaluate their claims. Right. Uh, I, I don't take them serious as academic history. They don't, they don't publish these claims in academic journals. So they're not really they don't need to be subjected to that kind of yardstick. Um, and the fact that they think that the Jews are not the true Israel. Um, you know, look, at you can take offense at that if you want. Again, I, I feel like I have impulse control. It's not going to really bother me. And let's keep in mind that Christians may not have an alternate history, but there's plenty in the Christian world, certainly historically, where Christians said we are the true Israel and that the Jews are no longer the Israel. The Jews no longer have the covenant with God, that the, the body of Christ has replaced that. And that's actually part of the reason why the term Judaism exists, why the term Jews exist, because when Christianity sort of became more and more powerful, they displaced the Jews intentionally, and they wanted to take the name Israel for themselves. Historically, or in ancient times, Jews would have called themselves the people of Israel. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't have called themselves Jews. So, um, so yeah, Christians don't have an alternate history, but they have an alt, you know, maybe a somewhat parallel view of dismissing uh, certain aspects of Jewish claims. Oh, for sure. I have a question about the hate group designation because, and forgive me, I forgot the name of of the Jewish sect that doesn't. Like, okay, did you say they're considered a hate group? Um, I believe it, the last time I checked, if you go to groups like the ADL. That's or the SPLC, that okay. you will see them there listed as a hate group because of the way that they approach their anti-Israel, right? So it's one thing to be critical of Israel, uh, but I think once you step into saying that uh, the state of Israel shouldn't exist, Jews should not have their own country, uh, once you go there, a lot of people would consider that anti-Semitic. Um, is the, is the so ADL... I, I, I'm, by the way, I myself do not decide who's a hate group or not. I, I don't like that terminology. I know West Colorado Baptist Church, they're offended by that. They don't think what they're doing is hate. They think that they are loving people. They are loving people by telling you about your sins. And so, and certainly in Turi Carter, they don't consider themselves a hate group. Yeah. And, and go ahead, Buck, sorry. No, no worries. I, I just, 
does the ADL, is that kind of the end all be all of, of hate group designators? Because I've actually never studied this. So that's why I'm curious. I mean, I mean they're, yes, they're the ADL, the SPLC, they're pretty common uh, for people to cite in terms of what's considered a hate group. But in my world, like in religious studies, we don't consider that like an academic term. Yeah, uh, sure. Right, so, right. So I would never... I, I would never myself trying to decide who's a hate group or not. I, that wouldn't make so much sense to me. And is there is there designation for that kind of wide ranging? Because again, I've never looked too much into it. Like, say, would they if there was an Israeli group that hated on um, Palestinians, would they be considered also a hate group by the ADL? Um, it's quite possible. Yeah, okay. I mean, I I really don't know who everybody's on their list, but no they have. If you go to the ADL, for instance, I'm pretty sure they have like a map. And a database, they've got neo-Nazis, they've got Christian hate groups, they've got Islamic hate groups, they've got, like I said, I think this Jewish group. Uh, they certainly have uh, a wide range of different kinds of groups that they think are fermenting some kind of bigotry or prejudice um, in different ways. Uh, you know, like there are Catholic groups. I, you know, I have a, a weekly discussion group on uh, in religious studies that came out of uh, some TikTok stuff, and we just looked at a Catholic group. It's not it's not a Catholic group under the current Pope. They're sort of heretical um, or what's called traditionalist Catholic, uh, but they were car car categorized as a hate group because of the way they talked about Jews, right? They said the Jews, you know, are are not going to be saved. They're damned to hell, and they need to all be converted to Christianity. It was not an unusual Christian view, but they held on to that after. World War II and the Holocaust. They held on to that after Vatican II, Second Vatican Council. So, so they're seen in a very negative light. Um, but again, I'm not characterizing them as a hate group. They they're just sort of a intense, controversial, oppositional religious group to me. Yeah. So I I know that you are primarily in kind of the um, the science of it. You're in the the academic sense. Do you think that the term hate group like as a whole has utility or do you think it's most do you think it's just kind of useless because it's 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 hard because sometimes I hear people call like things hate groups and it's like it seems like and this is not you know the SBLC or anything like that but like people who called other people hate groups who I know didn't do say any of the things that they said that they said <laughs> Because it kind of it's kind of become a weapon. Well, let me um, let me just share a perspective that I have that's very important to me personally. Okay. So even though it's an academic thing, it's a very personal journey for me. I believe that there are a lot of people out there um, in the world. Forget about the fringe groups. There are many people out there who who um, stigmatize other people, hate other people, um, treat other people as enemies. And there's a very divisive sort of atmosphere, political atmosphere and religious atmosphere. And I believe that there would be some strong benefits potentially to having less divisiveness and less hate out there. Absolutely. Okay. So, you know, just to give you an example, Democrats versus Republicans, I think uh, there's a wide number, large number of people who are very divisive, very, you know, can't stand being at the dinner table with somebody from the other party. They can't imagine themselves marrying or the children marrying somebody from the other party, it's gotten very intense. And so I think it's very meaningful to me 
to go to my students and say, let's talk to a group like Westboro Baptist Church and just try to understand them, see if we can relate to them and people, see if we can connect with them emotionally, empathically, uh, get to know them and not come at them with these kinds of labels. Right. Uh, and not, maybe not focus on the things that you find most offensive or that disturb you, but figure out a way to bracket that and develop the skill so that you can sit down. <laughs> you're never gonna have a chance to sit down with Westboro Baptist Church again, but you're gonna sit down with somebody who's a Biden supporter or a Trump supporter at your Thanksgiving meal or something like that. You know, learn to connect with people as human beings and relate with them as human beings. And so for me, the labeling of hate groups isn't so constructive to that, that goal of mine, right? now. Is that, is that a helpful thing for me to, is that, does that sort of come across clearly? Yes, yes. very clearly. Right yeah. now I have not converted the ADA, the anti-defamation league to this project. Right. Uh, <laughs> so they have, they have their goals. They have their reasons. They have their strategies for fighting things like, you know, various kinds of racism and prejudice and, uh, oh, you know, like the clan is a, a hate group and things like that. So they have their strategies. I'm not trying to dismiss what the ADL does by any means. But my, my approach is to try to develop uh, the skill set that, so that if, if my students want to be able to reach across these very sharp dividing lines, they can connect. They can learn how to connect with people as human beings. Yeah, I, th I think that that's what's missing from a lot of discourse these days. And it's something that I had to learn. Like personally, I had a couple of situations and things that I went through in life that rocked me to the core, rocked me about how I thought about other people where right. I, had, well, so for instance, I had this really, it's a very religious view of it. So get ready for that. You may love it. Um, but <clears throat> I remember when it was announced that Osama bin Laden was killed and Osama bin Laden, bad guy, did bad things, terrorist, evil. But as I watched um, all of the, my fellow college students like dancing and, and celebrating this man's death, it hit me in such a bizarre way. Cause I'm, I'm sitting here learning about, about, the, uh, you know, Hashem, I'm learning about um, Jesus, I'm learning about all of these uh, things and, you know, this push towards love and, you know, all of this. And I can't stomach the idea of celebrating someone's death. I, I couldn't be in, in the Westboro Baptist Church because of something like that. And I didn't before that moment, before I had that moment where I went, is this who I am? Have I reduced everyone in this group? And I'm, you know, he was obviously not a good guy. And, you know, it's not, it's good that he can't do anything to the world anymore. But the idea that I was celebrating someone's death, I could, I rocked me. I was like, this is not who I want to be. Uh -huh. And uh, so I, I don't remember what my original question was, but. <laughs> I, I, um, I, could, I could just interject there and say, uh, when I teach Introduction to Religion, one of the main books I've worked with is a book that looks at Al-Qaeda and tries to understand Al-Qaeda as a Islamic, as a religious group, and it analyzes them uh, really from the perspective of religious studies without any kind of condemnation uh, being built into studying of Al-Qaeda. And I think it's a very uh, useful, it has been a very useful journey for a lot of my students uh, to see that you know Al-Qaeda can be understood and analyzed as a religious group. 
And if you remember back, um, there was so much effort to invalidate them and say, well, they're not real Muslims, right? They are not Islam. And very obviously many Muslims wanted to distance themselves uh, from that. And people do that with the Westerbar Baptist Church or people do that with this other group that I mentioned, Nuturi Carter. They say they're not real Christians or something. So there's a strong impulse to sort of invalidate those kind of people. Um, and so the kind of thing that you're talking about is is somewhat similar to what I'm trying, what I've often brought my students through by studying Al Qaeda. That's, that's it's funny that you use Al Qaeda, and that was the moment for me where I was like, how can I be? I I don't want to be that person. Yeah. the The problem is that you're so old now. Yeah, so old. <laughs> you're, so, you're so old uh, that you know, but the the current college students they don't remember nine eleven. Right. No, that right. I was talking to. So uh, when I, I was managing a leather store at one point, everyone always thinks that's funny when I say it because they imagine the wrong kind of leather store, especially um, with that bald head and big beard. We got <laughs> you. Uh, but when I was working there, one of my employees, I think she was born in like 97 or 98 something. And she was like making fun of herself. And she was like, oh, millennials. And I was like, millennials. I said, do you remember 9-11? And she goes, no. I, no, I don't. And I was like, you're not a millennial then. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, that's the cutoff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have a question before before uh, we, we cut, cut you here on time or you get short on time. Have you received criticism from people for this approach? Because I, I find it to be kind of an honest approach. I wish journalists used this approach where you're not necessarily judging, but you're trying to actually get legitimate information and, and, and teach people about these groups. Have you received criticism or threats by, you know, people saying you're giving them a platform or something like that? Yeah. Giving them a platform is I was going to say is one of the main objections uh, that we get. Um, and I've certainly had other criticism as well, you know, maybe uh, that I'm not, you know, that I'm not being uh, critical enough that I'm not um, helping people see their, where they're wrong. Um, yeah, I, I think there's, a, I, it's not coming to mind, but yeah, there are various criticisms of the, of the kind of work that, uh, the, oh, another criticism, by the way, in, in academia is whether it really makes sense to approach groups in a non-judgmental way. Um, and especially, okay, maybe not the non-judgmental part, but one of the things that I do is, like I said at the beginning, is I don't talk about my own beliefs right. and I don't express moral judgment. So I have this TikTok account I, you know, I'm trying to get followers, but I'm never like making moral judgments or religious judgments. And there are many academics nowadays who might say, no, you should tell people what your beliefs are so that they can then evaluate your biases. Okay. So that's, that's a somewhat more methodology kind of criticism that I get. Um, so I certainly get criticized. Um, fortunately, uh, my department at Miami University really appreci appreciates the work that I'm doing. And I think there are plenty of other scholars who are, are sort of fascinated. Not everybody feels that they could go visit Westboro Baptist Church. A lot of people feel like that's a, sort of a bridge too far. Uh, but I think they respect the kind of work that uh, I and my students are doing. Well, I will just say when it comes to the whole the giving them a platform thing, um, one of the other things that I've heard people say is like you'll see – a fairly famous person interviewing someone that everyone essentially considers is not a good person or it could be a, a you know, a terrorist or something. And they 
get mad when the interviewer doesn't attack them for their beliefs and, and doesn't fight them in that moment. And I find that extremely bizarre because, you know, the reason I part of the reason why I do this show is so that I can understand people better so that I can hear who they are, hear their stories, hear what's coming, what, how they got to where they are, what they believe, what, and I find it so bizarre that people would just want there to not be that, that communication. I don't understand it because it's like when uh, 9-11 happened to make it a 9-11 themed episode. I mean, it is no, it is September after all. Um, uh, like, you know, when the attacks happened and what was it? Bush that had said something about, you know, they hate us for our freedom. And everyone was saying, you know, don't read what Osama bin Laden wrote about his reasons why. And I was like, that's really bizarre because, you know, there may be some legitimate grievances within the, even though there's some crazy stuff in there, there may be some le legitimate grievances that we could fix. Right. I mean, like what if, I, th I think one of his reasons was the uh, sanctions on Iraq and the, the children's dying of starvation. Yeah, we should stop doing that. Maybe we should listen to that part of it. <laughs> so I don't, I don't understand that personally. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, some people say, um, you know, all they want is attention and you're giving them attention, you know, like this thing about the platforming, but um, I'm giving them a different kind of attention than they're getting. Yeah. Um, I think human beings do deserve attention. Uh, they don't necessarily deserve attention to, you know, every picket sign. Um, but I think human beings do deserve to be uh, connected with and listened to and have somebody come to you and be genuinely interested in what makes you tick and try to understand you empathically and try to have some kind of rapport with you. So giving them that kind of attention, I have no, no regrets about at all. Um, and I, I don't, you know, I don't really spend a lot of time arguing over the platforming thing because, um, you know, the, the U.S. media has given has you know mm -hmm. catapulted Westboro Baptist Church and so many other people catapulted them to be super famous uh, for various kind of memes and stuff. And so, I think it might, what, what we're doing is really sort of a drop a d drop in the bucket compared to that. Um, so you you said let's try out an hour, and if 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 you don't want to go longer, we can shut it off. I'll go a little longer. Uh, yeah, let's go like 10 or do you have other questions, other things you want to talk oh, about? Yeah. Oh, for sure. I, I absolutely. I just, I'm enjoying talking to you. So, I mean, I, I'd like to know more about you. Um, but one of the questions that um, I, so we've talked a lot about the Westboro Baptist Church. That's your primary um, uh, research. But what is, what, what do you think would be the three biggest and most important takeaways that you've had so far? Uh, speaking to these people like have you have you found their humanity that other people say they don't have whoa what are the biggest takeaways um i mean i think the biggest takeaway maybe is how much uh it changes people to meet with them you know i think people are you know people are just astounded when they come with me and meet with them uh it's it's a it really changes a lot. Most of the people who have come have really sort of walked away like, wow, that was the, and even though I prepared people, like there are students who've gone with me after a semester course of studying the whole project and this kind of thing. And it's still sort of like a, an amazing experience for them. So, um, so I, I think a big takeaway is what you learn about yourself. 
Okay. Um, you learn about yourself differently when, <laughs> when, when you're under a certain kind of discipline. And in, in the case of my research assistants, they're under my discipline. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm also under my discipline, right? I'm also under a methodology. And when you go approach people with this sense like, okay, no matter what happens, I'm not going to, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, I'm not going to come back at them. Right. I'm not going to vent at them all my feelings. I'm not going to tell them how angry I am or whatever feelings come up. I'm not going to be doing that. I'm going to try to listen to them and understand them and stay curious. OK, I'm not going to try. I'm going to try to withhold judgment or suspend judgment or bracket judgment. And I'm going to try to stay curious. And I think that is a very powerful takeaway. So, for instance, I have a uh, a guy I knew. Uh, I don't know. He's now graduated several years ago, but he's gone with me three times. He's an African-American queer man. So uh, he was not so out at the first time he went, um, but he's certainly a lot more comfortable as he gets older with his uh, with his identity. And for him, it's been a very powerful experience. Um, and I think people don't realize, you know, and I'm a, and I'm a Jewish guy. Right. And, and I've had Jews go with me. I think people don't realize that when you meet with Westboro Baptist Church outside of the picket line and outside of the media spotlight, that they don't come at you the same way, right? They might still say things that are disturbing or offensive uh, to you, but they, um, but it's a manageable thing. Um, so, so the way that it changes us, I think, is an amazing thing. And uh, again, you know, the people who have gone with me, I, you know, some of them have gone back three times, but most people are not going to spend much of their life talking to Westboro Baptist Church folks. But but they'll spend all their life speaking to Democrats and Republicans in the United States. And so and some of them have gone into like social work and law and gerontology and fields that are, you know, where human interaction really matters. Um, so. With this and, you know, you having to get over this hump to speak with them and to understand them and, and the work you've done, uh, even though you say you're not the most emp empathetic man that we'll meet, um, do you have any basic tips that people might use when they're having these conversations with people that they disagree with or people that seemingly hate them? Like, is there any, like, de-escalation slash uh, reconciliation? tips? Um, well, certainly, you know, active listening is something that can be taught, right? So certain kinds of interviewing skills can be taught. There are books that do that. There are training groups that do that. And so the kind of skills that we talk about, uh, you can learn if you study eth ethnography, anthropology in college, you can learn it through HR. Um, and so there is a whole set of that kind of world. Um, the, the ability to do perspective taking and to be able to understand somebody else's perspective requires a certain kind of imagination or moral imagination or, you know, maybe theological imagination. Um, and I think the more you study, the more you learn and the more you put it into um, educational contexts that really get you uh, to sort of think about how you might understand people from another culture um, is really important. And so then when you see um, universities putting less emphasis on say the humanities, um, it makes me a little bit worried because uh, 
you want to have people learn how to do that kind of perspective taking. Um, you know, when you see these attacks on something like uh, critical race theory, right? So we can talk about all aspects of critical race theory, and I'm not an expert on it. But one of the things that critical race theory, like many, many different kinds of academic theories does, is it tries to give you some context. It tries to give you some background to sort of enrich how you understand other human beings. And so um, I think if you go to visit a group like Westboro Baptist Church or Republicans or Democrats, depending on where you're coming from, uh, you, it'd be great if you can sort of learn to have some impulse control and think about, can you imagine what is their perspective? Um, and one of the problems that we have in universities, I would say also, but certainly in the general world, is that we're so much in information, you know, um, what do you call it? Uh, chambers or oh, information yeah. silos, right? So if you're a Democrat, you read certain news or watch certain news. If you're a Republican, you watch other news. And so you're constantly bombarding with one just one perspective. And there are very few people who are switching back and forth between MSNBC and uh, Fox, right? Or, or really spending a lot of time reading, you know, newspapers that are really presenting sort of a richer picture um, or, or people who are really learning how to see the biases in the media. And so people are just being inundated with just one perspective and they're not being educated enough to even think about where the other person might be coming from. Um, and this happens at the universities too. I don't think that we're, we've escaped that. Buck, I feel like you probably have a list of questions. This time I was just listening because I thought we, he only had a 10 minutes. So I, I was just kind of taking it all in and, I, and, and I, listening kind of like he was talking about. <laughs> you were active listening. Active um, listening. Well, I mean, I, I have my last big question, which I ask everyone who comes on the show. Uh, but if wow. you have any more, fire them off now and then we can do the big question. Oh. Well, now I'm anticipating the big question, so go for it. Oh, you don't know my big question? Oh, it's a very simple one. Um, so, well, it's a it's a put you on the spot one too. Um, so, uh, when th this show used to be kind of political, and I have you know taken a lot of that crap out of my life, I, I just am not interested in that at all anymore. Um, but when when it when we shifted to what we are now, which is about story, which is about people things like that, one of the things I wanted to emphasize is hope, because I feel like there are a lot of people, especially over the last two years, two and a half years, who have had a lot of um, just terrible things happen to them. They've lost loved ones, they've lost jobs, they've lost, some of them lost themselves. Um, but I kind of want to bring things back into focus and bring some hope to people. So I ask this of every guest that comes on, um, and I'll ask you, so it can be personal, local, global, whatever. Um, what's something right now in your life that gives you hope and helps motivate you to carry on doing what you're doing and making some sort of impact on the world? See what I mean? Very simple. Great what's, what's something that gives me hope? Well, um, okay. I, I guess this isn't, uh, so relevant, but, um, or it's, it's not a big, it's not a big thing. It's okay. Uh, but, um, I have a, uh, intern this summer who, uh, went with me to Topeka to visit West Door Baptist church and, uh, found it pretty challenging. Um, 
for various reasons, which I don't necessarily need to go into right now. Uh, but it was a pretty challenging personal experience and, um, and did not have a lot of training background uh, in Westmore Baptist Church. She had taken other classes, another class with me, but not uh, something related to Westboro. Um, but she came back and she was fired up and she's working on a campus presentation now. She's working on a poster to sort of explain this on campus. Uh, she signed up for uh, an internship this year with me for the project that our project is called Empathy and the Religious Enemy, enemy in quotes, yeah. okay? And so the fact that uh, she can sort of go through this experience and come out the other side and be fired up and want to continue doing this um, really means a lot to me because, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I want to I see at least some people sort of understand what we're trying to accomplish and, and, and find it a meaningful thing to add to their lives. So um, that's a that's, good answer. That's something that gives me hope. That's you know, a, that's you a know I don't know that I could change that many people, but uh, you know, I try to change the people that I can actually be in relationship with. And uh, you know, another thing that gives me hope is, you know, like with Westboro Baptist church, you know, I feel like with some of the people, uh, my relationship with them is actually pretty close and they could tell me stuff and I could tell them stuff that we would not have been able to, to otherwise share. And, uh, and just the way that some of them have opened up to me um, has been a really life altering thing. Uh, just to see that if you, uh, if you do approach somebody with uh, a little bit of listening and a little bit less uh, blaming or judging, uh, they're able to really talk about who they are. And then I really do think you get a sense of where they're coming from. Um, even if they are a Biden supporter or Trump supporter, wherever they are. Right. <laughs> um, by the way, if you talk to Megan, tell her I want to talk to her on my show. <laughs> I, 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 I've tried to, to, I think we're friends on Facebook. Can't get through to her. So she's, just, a, she's a hard person to get. Yeah. I'm just saying, I'd love to yeah. talk to her. Um, but wait, I, that's a good question. I mean, a good answer. I mean, the question I'm, I'm not great. <laughs> I like it because it, it brings out so many different aspects of who a person is. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and I'll, I'm get ready, Buck. I'm asking you once, once Dr. Gray is gone, you okay. get, you well, get thank you. Spot, my dude. Um, thank you both so much. This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Love your questions. And, uh, it's gotten me <laughs> thinking about all the ways I should have been answering them, but that's great. <laughs> awesome. Well, I, I do want to let people know where to find you. And you just correct me if you want to add anything. I will put the um, link tree or whatever version of that you have um, in the notes for people to click on. But if if you want to follow him on Twitter, he's H at H Gray, G R A Y, not E. Yeah. The last name, not the color. That's what people have said in the past. Is that what you say? Yeah. <laughs> um, and if you want to find the projects Twitter. Um, it's at empathy enemy. And if you'd like to check out his TikToks, by the way, I want to talk to you about Satanism at some point because you're, you're starting yeah, to get into that. It would be another great group to, to, to approach. Right. I'm yes. Right. Yeah. This. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> that got you excited. It's okay. No. And I do. I, I fascinating. Um, but if you want to watch his TikToks and kind of, see him in short bursts where you can learn something. And I, you had a TikTok the other day where um, someone would talk about, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian as if that meant I'm the, I'm one of the only ones who really gets it sort of 
deal. And I, I, I watched that and I was like, it's this stinks because like I'm kind of a nomad right now. And it's not because I'm that. It's just I don't know how to answer the question. I can tell you a list of things, but it's just uh, I you made me question myself, Dr. Gray. Shouldn't do that. <laughs> but one of the good things about that particular TikTok um, is that so many people came on and said, um, you know, I'm Catholic. And when they said, I'm a Christian and you're not, uh, here's what it felt like. Or I'm a Mormon. And when they told me I'm not a Christian, here's what it felt like. So TikTok really is an opportunity. It's it's little, you know, little snippets. But for people to really tell a little bit of their story, even if they don't do a video of what it's like to experience some of the religious uh, stigma that is always being sort of battered around. So, uh, yeah, so that particular TikTok, I think a lot of people could connect to. Uh, you know, this whole discourse of I'm just a Christian, what that feels like for them. Right. I found it very interesting. And if you want to catch more of that, you can on TikTok. He's at Prof Gray, P-R-O-F-G-R-A-Y. You, I mean, like I said, I'll put your link tree in the notes. Anything else you want to mention? Before no, you awesome. Well, thank you so much. I've really appreciated talking to you. Thank and you, Dr. Gray. I hope we can talk about Satanism in the future. Yeah, let's do it again sometime. Take care. Uh, thank you. Bye-bye. All right, Buck. Oh yeah. Okay, so I need I need an evaluation. Um, since you're your guest co-hosting, um, how was it? That was interesting. He had some some uh, perspectives that I uh, that were cool. I'm uh, quite honestly, there's some things that were. Um, I I think he has a bias that I don't, and I could tell a little bit, but he had a very good approach to. I guess you could call this journalism and I wish more journalists had it. I, I that one, one quick, I, sometimes when you're involved in a university that you're swimming in it, it was, it was, I thought it was funny when he said he was discussing, you can be in an echo chamber and he goes, even to some extent universities. <laughs> I'm like, you think I couldn't think of any place more of an echo chamber these days, but fair enough. Um, I, I'm not swimming in that sea, uh, but I, I liked, I thought he was cool. And I think, um, his point about getting to know them, I, you know, I kind of jokingly said, well, you're not going to have a, a great dinner conversation with the Westboro Baptist guys. And he said, well, kind of. And then he talked about that story. And I was like, wow, <laughs> that uh, I would like to be sitting at that that uh, nice dinner yeah. conversation because, I mean, I'd like to have one with those guys, too. I'd, you know, it's, it's curious. So, oh, yeah, it, it's neat what he's doing. Yeah, I, I, well, that, and that's what I I, I love having these conversations with different people and it's like you know i have my you know specific biases and bents and they're probably very very similar to yours like yeah i'm, I'm sure both of us in our heads when i asked the fed question we're like oh, yeah i mean come on you know yeah. they do stuff yeah. <laughs> yeah. but um no i i love that you uh you were you were here to to ask the questions and and not do the uh yelling at them for disagreeing with you thing that's awesome Oh yeah, I wouldn't, do, so, I wouldn't and, do that. And I didn't think you would, but I'm just yeah. so thrilled that it it went as well as it did. Um, but I do have to ask you the question. Uh oh. So, dude. So now it's like I am on your show. Yeah, man. I, I, well, I I did it with the last episode too because I'm like, you've not been on my show. I have to mm -hmm. ask you a question before you go. Get a double dose of hope. Um. So what it, what is something that's giving you hope right now? What's what's keeping you going despite the hard parts of life? Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I would say that, well, for me personally, it's Orthodox Christian Church is is the e by far the easiest answer and, and most true answer for me. And that's about uh, the main thing besides family, of course. 
Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, the Orthodox Christianity. Yeah, and and, and me, like and me. you, yes, <laughs> just last week. <laughs> so what I'll do is, since since you're going to be co-hosting on several of them, uh, you you're going to get um, a couple of different questions as you get to know me a little bit better. Okay, I, I, I love those those. I, I, you know, I like people. I like understanding them. Um, but we can wrap it up now, um, and you we can go on our way. And then you're going to be on next week's, right? I think so. Cool. Yeah, that one should be pretty pretty low key. Um, you don't have to worry about offending anyone on that one. Um, but for everyone who doesn't know or who just found out, this is Buck Johnson. He has a show called Counter the Counterflow Podcast, um, which you can find all of his stuff there at counterflowpodcast.com. Um, he's on Twitter at Buck Rebel. Is there anything else you want to throw people's way about finding you or are you, you concise? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty much it. You know, uh, the podcast is on any podcast platform. We have it on YouTube as well. If you search counterflow with Buck Johnson, pretty easy stuff. Everyone knows how to search and find these things these days. So. What was funny, and I'll, I'll, uh, I was someone had um, tagged you when I said, "Hey, who are some good guests for the show?" And I think that was the first time we ever interacted. I okay. Think. And um, what was so funny was, I guess it was a couple months ago, like within maybe a week, <clears throat> within like a week of each other, we both talked to Justin Marler. Oh yeah. We, we did it completely separately. Found him completely separately booked him and i was just like okay okay i, I can get i get this guy yeah also, I, I can't tell you how thrilled i am that there's another person here on this on this screen that's more tattooed Inked up oh yeah <laughs> someone put in a, in a comment on one of my youtubes the other day embarrassing tattoos <laughs> like <laughs> me which ones which one yeah <laughs> uh, i'm trying to think if i have any embarrassing ones I mean, yeah, I do, but you can't see him. So I thought, how'd that guy, how'd he see my tramp stamp? I didn't show it. Right. All right. Well, uh, I've got to tell people what's coming up, and then we can bounce. Um, next week, Buck and I will be talking to Matt CL. He is a, a friend I made on TikTok. TikTok's great for finding people, by the way. If you're not on there, I know you're not a TikTok person, Buck. Yeah. But I'm telling you, you can find some interesting freaking people there. <clears throat> but his name's Matt CL. He's a Bible teacher. He he loves talking about theology and teaching people about Jesus on TikTok. And I find that such a fascinating thing, like preaching on the Chinese spyware app. So interesting. Right. Yeah. Um, after that, uh, we're, I'm speaking. I think you're on that one too. We're speaking with Naomi Wright, who um, you know, a couple months ago we talked to a guy named Ben Brown, who is the nephew of Cody Brown from Sister Wives. And he grew up on a Mormon polygamous compound. Cool. And so we, we talked to him about that situation. We talked to him about Mormonism. And some of that stuff is so hilarious to me. Um, but uh, I wanted to come at it from a different perspective because, you know, one of the bad things about Mormonism is a lot of times when you leave, you don't go to Christianity. You know, you don't go to the church. You're right. Drop Jesus yeah. together. And that's a right. Um, But Naomi Wright, uh, her father was um i forget the name i'll, I'll have all that i'll remember all that by then i'll uh, i'll send you some stuff there's some interesting freaking connections to her dad in this, in this thing um but he started his own cult um after a famous pastor 
passed away and he became a polygamist and she grew up in this in that situation and but instead of like you know ben going away from christianity yeah in every way she's embraced it and she has a, a ministry that she helps women with like i'm i'm thrilled to talk to oh, her man this will be rich <laughs> oh yeah dude i i love finding people that i can just like get, get the details yeah um, <laughs> after that it's it starts it officially starts spooky season so um izzy centric or aka israel petty will be coming on the show he is a self-described uh, demonologist and paranormal investigator a christian one and we're going to talk to him about what he does things like that and then after that uh mr brian gadawa who wrote the film um what was the name of it i'm gonna i'm gonna remember it uh to end all wars with Kiefer sutherland he wrote that film he writes books and you this may interest you Buck. he 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 writes biblical fiction books about um and he used have you ever listened to the uh orthodox podcast um where they talk about like the unseen realm i forget the name of it a lord of spirits yes yes so what brian does is he writes books about different biblical characters using that worldview that deuteronomy, oh. deuteronomy 32 worldview so right now i'm in the middle of reading his uh book noah primeval and so okay. it's the story of noah and the flood but you see the the nephilim you see these other gods you see the and it's fascinating hmm okay um and so uh just i let you all know all of that so because he's gonna come on and i'm gonna pick his freaking brain it's mm -hmm. gonna be a lot of fun um that's all i've got besides patreon.com slash the mad ones if you want a shirt they're really nice i i, I had to take off one of my old shirts because i got it i used to sell them on amazon and those things die so quickly um, but the new ones are better you can go to we are the bad ones.com slash store i'm on twitter at ham carlos bucks on twitter at buck rebel um if you're listening and you'd rather watch youtube.com slash the mad ones we're also on rockfin odyssey rumble essentially anything you can think of unless it's brand new um and if you'd like to listen instead of look at my dumb face every week uh you can go to any podcatcher or we are the mad ones.com that's it hit like subscribe do all the things share it with your friends please um, do it you got anything to share with the well any last thoughts for the people before i i, I cut us off uh enjoy the rest of your night go have a drink yeah i mean i'm gonna i bought some bourbon that that's what i'm gonna have i need to I, I we should talk about bourbon mm -hmm. um okay seriously though i could never really talk jessica into this but i have a connection with what the master distiller at angels envy Okay. I want to do an episode and people want me to do a whiskey episode. Maybe that's us. I'm down. Okay. <laughs> so for the rest of you, as always, you have a chance to be a light in the world. So go light it up. Mm -hmm.